0: Well, we're continuing today our, our sermon series "How to Read the Bible," um, I was really encouraged last week. There was a lot of really great conversations uh, after service, talking about some of the uh, some of the more in-depth uh, theologies and some of the church history uh, that we talked about. So I was encouraged. I didn't I didn't scare everybody off. Uh, so I, I was really glad for that. Uh, we're going to continue today because listen, the, the Bible is a divinely inspired canon of writings. Uh, it's comprised of 66 books written by about 40 different uh, people over some 1,500 years and in three ancient languages, by the way. And so even with a lot of the modern translations, including dozens of English language uh, translations of the Bible, it can, it can sometimes seem uh, to many very difficult to read and understand. And when people uh, come to me and they say, you know, I'm having a hard time understanding Uh, what's in the Bible. I get it. I I really do. Um, I came from a generation where if I would have gone to a church leader and said, I'm having trouble reading and understanding the Bible, I would have been told that uh, I need to pray harder and I need to trust the Holy Spirit. Uh, And don't get me wrong, prayer and the Holy Spirit are a big part of reading and understanding the Bible. But I understand, I get it when people say it's really difficult sometimes to read and to understand. And one of the most uh, common misunderstandings when reading the Bible has to do with the relationship between the Testaments, the Old and the New. In fact, if you don't get anything else I say today beyond the reading of God's Word, I want you to get this. The fulfillment and interpretation of the Old Testament in Jesus sustains its lasting authority for the church. That's a really big statement because you know we have this uh, we have this language that's kind of entered our Christian vernacular. Uh, we talk about being New Testament Christians and a New Testament church, and 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 to be honest with you, it's 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 a little misleading, uh, and and quite frankly, it's a little misguided. Uh, because the fulfillment and interpretation of the Old Testament in Jesus sustains its lasting authority for the church. Uh, the Old Testament is just as relevant, just as valid uh, for the church today as it's ever been. Uh, that, that doesn't change uh, because, uh, you know, because of, of the New Testament. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the Word of God. Now, we took a deep dive into the theology of the Incarnation. We traveled back through church history to see how the divinity of Christ has been challenged, particularly by uh, uh, by people who uh, have had a low view of, uh, of Jesus, uh, a low view of Christ, and how our view of Christ shapes the way in which we view the Scriptures. Alright? I, I want to make that very clear. Our view of Christ often has a direct effect upon our view of the scriptures. And by the way, that goes in reverse as well. If we have a low view of scripture, if if we if we don't hold the scripture as being a divinely inspired canon, listen, that can lead us to a low view of Christ. And so it's really important that we that we understand the relationship between the whole Bible The Old and New Testament. You know, I hear from Christians who say nonsensical things like, "The Old Testament doesn't apply to me. I'm under grace." Uh, I remember one time a guy a guy uh, did that very, very, you know, very boisterous in the way that he did. "I'm under grace." I said, "Well, listen, if you don't check your attitude, you're going to be under judgment, because uh, listen." That's, 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 that, that's really, that, that, that whole sentiment comes from kind of a rebellious uh, sort, of, sort of nature. You know, some people, especially non-believers, they'll try to debate. If, if, has this ever happened to you? Someone come up and, and try to debate you or, or try to pick an argument with you by saying something like, well, what about this ridiculous law? And what about that extreme law? I've had that happen to me. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. But uh, sadly, a lot of Christians don't have a confident answer or, or no answer at all. And so th- they tend to distance themselves from the Scripture. They start picking and choosing what they're comfortable with. Even in their reading. Even in their devotional time. They just they just kind of pick and choose what they're comfortable with. But listen, rather than chucking out two-thirds of the Bible because it's difficult to understand, or because we've been misled to believe that it's no longer relevant, we really need to ask some important questions. Questions like, What is the relationship between the Testaments? And what did Jesus have to say about how we should treat the Old Testament? Because, listen, if you're going to read, study, and properly interpret the Bible, you need to understand how the Testaments relate to one another. That's really important. We need to understand how they relate to Jesus and therefore how you then should relate to the Testaments, the old and the new. And so let's see for ourselves exactly what Jesus had to say about this. All right. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible or you can open your Bible app to Matthew's Gospel, chapter five. That's where we'll be studying from today. greater question of how the the Old and New Testament relate to each other, this relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our passage today has sometimes been misunderstood, even misinterpreted at different times in church history, and we find it amid the Sermon on the Mount. That should come as no surprise, because as I've often pointed out to you, it always comes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Always. Uh, I, I'm telling you, you you give me a biblical principle, you give me a passage of scripture, and then we can we can together look at how it connects back to the Sermon on the Mount. It all comes back to the Sermon on the Mount. And so it should come as no surprise that that's where we find this. Now, now here, Jesus defines His relationship to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and He answers the questions of how His followers should treat it under the New Covenant. So I want us to read a few verses of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 17. But first, let's reverence God's Word and receive it with prayer. Heavenly Father, Your Word is truth. We thank You. We thank You for speaking it for the men who reverenced You when they wrote it. We thank You for the miraculous way that You've preserved it. God, You went to great, great pains to ensure that we have Your Word to guide us in this world. So Lord, we know today, we we confess today that Your Word is truth. And so today, Lord, I pray that Your truth would find fertile soil in our hearts, that it would take root, that it would grow, that it would bear fruit for the glory and for the honor of Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen. So Matthew's Gospel, I'm going to begin reading reading at verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, of heaven. Now there are two really important pieces to the statement that Jesus makes in verse 17. Take a look. He says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets." Now he's talking here about what we call the Old Testament. Okay? So when he when he's talking about the law and the prophets, when you see any language in the New Testament talking about the law and the prophets, when you see, by the way, when you see any language in the New Testament talking about the scriptures. Generally speaking, like that blanket term scriptures, you can be assured that what they're talking about is what you call the Old Testament. And well, we'll talk a little bit about how we got our New Testament next week. All right. That's just something for you to look forward to. But I want you to understand that when Jesus says on well, the prophets, when when the New Testament's talking about the scriptures he's talking about, they're talking about the Old Testament. And so Jesus goes on saying here, take a look. Verse 17. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now we run into problems sometimes because we tend to focus too much on one part or the other. We tend to focus too much on one part or the other. For instance, some people place too much focus on the fact that Jesus did not come to abolish the law. And not enough focus is placed on how Jesus fulfills the law. So what tends to happen is, is, you know, when you focus too much on the fact that uh, Jesus came uh, not to abolish the law, he didn't come to abolish the law, and so if you focus too much on that, what you you tend to end up with is a type of Christianity that is very legalistic. On the other hand, if you focus too much on the fact that uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law, what tends to happen is that you end up with a kind of Christianity that is very, well, liberalistic. Anything goes. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. Don't sweat it. You sinned. Ah, no worries. And so we have to we have to be careful. We have to be careful uh, that we look at this, so that we see the balance in what Jesus had to say. We run into problems when we focus on one or the other. But it, listen, if we're if we're to properly understand and interpret not only the Old Testament but the whole of Scripture, we have to properly balance these two truths regarding Jesus and his relationship to the law and the prophets. We have to balance them. That's something I think that Christians really struggle with sometimes is balancing some of these things that that the Bible teaches us about what Christianity is and is not. We tend to get out of balance. We've got to learn to balance them, especially if we're going to to properly understand and interpret uh, the Old Testament. And so first I want to say to you that the fulfillment of the Old Testament is complete in the personhood of Jesus. The Old Testament, the fulfillment of the Old Testament is complete in the personhood of Jesus. Now, you might recall that last week I said, if you want to know what the Bible is about, what it all means, you will find the answers to those very important questions begins and ends with Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus. And right here, this statement that Jesus makes is why. If you want to know why I made that statement last week, it's because of what Jesus says right here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 17. It is because he fulfills the New Testament, the fulfillment, or fulfills the Old Testament. The fulfillment of the Old Testament is complete in the personhood of Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law. And this is really interesting when we consider the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus seems, at least, at times to ratify, sometimes modify, sometimes even change certain teachings from the law of Moses. Broadly speaking, you can really observe this when you, when you come across the, these statements that he made. When he says, you have heard it was said, but I say unto you. And so that, that creates sometimes a, a challenge, a problem for, for people. And he makes, that sta- he makes statements like this many times throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, some Bible scholars and detractors, they'll latch on to these and they'll say, See? 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 There's a contradiction. The Bible is full of errors. Even Jesus said so. Well, I didn't say they were good scholars. I just said scholars, the tractors. I think it's really important for us first to understand how Jesus fulfills the law. I think it's really important. If we can understand how Jesus fulfills the law, we might be better able to see that Jesus isn't contradicting the Old Testament in any way. Nor is He giving the church a free pass to ignore what thus saith the Lord. And so I want us to take a look at this real quick. Because first, Jesus fulfills the messianic hopes of Israel and God's overarching redemptive plan for the entire world. He is what is testified to and anticipated in the entirety of the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15 God is passing judgment in the garden and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. That's the first messianic promise in the Bible. All the way back in Genesis. All the way back in the garden. So from the garden, from the garden, There has been this anticipation for Jesus, for Christ, for the Messiah. And so everything in the Old Testament testifies to and anticipates the coming of Christ. Again, this is the first messianic promise of Scripture. Second, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament sacrificial system. We sometimes refer to that as ceremonial law. So if you ever hear anybody talking about ceremonial law, they're talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so Jesus fulfills the Old Testament sacrificial system. He does this, church, through His once and for all sacrifice of atonement on the cross. Period. Third, He fulfills the law and perfectly obeying its righteous requirements and standards on behalf of sinful humanity. Number four, Jesus also fulfills the law in the sense that he interprets it and applies it correctly, representing the final and perfect interpretation of Torah. Now, what I mean by final and perfect interpretation has to do with many of those so-called contradictions. It involves the heightening, the expanding, and the deepening of the law in some cases, as well as the sprinkling or covering of the law with his own Precious blood. In this way, Jesus, He he does away with the accusatory aspects of the law for those who by faith alone accept the forgiveness of Christ. Paul writes about this. The Apostle we we call Paul, the church leader, he talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation, For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin. And so all of that accusatory, listen, all of the accusatory uh, aspects of the Old Testament law no longer apply to those who by faith accept the forgiveness of Christ. Jesus fulfills the law, church. However, at the same time, Jesus upholds the authority of the law for all time. I want you to look at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Nothing big, nothing small. Nothing. Nothing. It will not pass until all is accomplished. When will, when will it all be accomplished? The end of, end of days. The end of the church age. Jesus says explicitly that all the, law, all the law and the prophets speak of him. For those of you who are big fans of the chosen like me, I'm sorry this is one thing that, uh, that, that they got wrong. Jesus never said, I am the law of Moses. Never did. Never said it. He said that all of the law and the prophets speak of him. I'm sure that this is an interpretation of of Jesus uh, presenting himself as the word. But there's a difference. The law and the prophets speak of him. And he says, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And it's not so much that the law is the law that, that is lasting. It's not so much the law itself that is lasting, but Christ's personal fulfillment of it. And I want you to be able to see the difference here. we we're, we're, Listen, we're not going to be walking around in heaven carrying, uh, carrying uh, Thompson chain reference Bibles. We, we won't need to. Praise God, because we will be in we will be in intimate fellowship communion with the Word Himself. I'm kind of glad because those those Thompson chain references they get heavy after a while. Huh. So it's not so much the law itself is talking about, but his personal fulfillment of it. Jesus says explicitly that all the law and the prophets speak of Him. We we know that He obeyed the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law completely. And by the way, He faced the wrath promised in the law in your place that He might redeem you. So I say to you once more, Jesus fulfilled the law. Now why is that so important as you read and study your Bible? Because listen, as Christians... We must learn to be able to reframe our interpretation of the Old Testament around its fulfillment in Christ instead of reading it allegorically that's my that's my that's my favorite thing we're doing today in the church. We read it allegorically it's a storybook It's just a storybook with some good allegories you know there's some good metaphors in there. And we present it to our children this way too, by the way, and let me tell you something I, I think that is the greatest sin of the church today is that we are teaching our we are teaching our children that God's word is nothing more than a storybook yeah indeed tom hey I, I I'll take that as an amen Ugh. we have to understand. We have to understand that, that that the Old Testament is God's word, it is truth. And so we have to understand it. We have to interpret it in Christ. So the best way to do that, well, I should say, I should I should say this. I, 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 sh- I should backpedal a, a, uh, uh, just a second. This is really important because, because, listen, if we read it as an allegory, or worse, we don't read it at all. I know a lot of Christians who do that too, by the way. They don't read it at all. It's too confusing, it's too hard, it doesn't make sense, and I get why they say that. I'm not saying I agree, I just get why they say that, but here's the thing: the old testament it becomes key to a deeper knowledge and understanding of Christ without the old testament you only you don't, you you it's 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 like it's like trying to walk around covering one eye. By the way, without my glasses, I can't see past the end of my nose. I'm blind. So I'm really in trouble. I mean, who among us would would to in order to in order to drive home would want to, you know, cover one eye? Last year during the eclipse, we got some of those cheap eclipse glasses from Amazon. If you don't have any of these, you really need to get some before April. But here's the thing: <laughs> when you put them on, you're like, <laughs> "I can't see anything. There's no way these things are going to work." It's like, "Are they going to work?" And then you look up the sun, you go, "Oh yeah, they work. They work." We looked up the. It was so funny because our neighbor, our neighbor saw us out there wearing these like goofy, like they look like the goofy 1950s uh, 3D glasses. And so the three of us are standing out in my driveway, and we're just standing there like. And my neighbor, the guy just moved in, and so he comes walking across. I mean, the look on his face was like terror because he could see something was going on, but he didn't know about the eclipse. Like, he could tell that, you know, everything looked kind of good. I think he thought that the aliens were coming back to get us. Because he's looking at us, and he's looking up. He's trying to see what we're looking at, and he's like, what's going on? He looks freaky out here. What are you all doing? And we're just like putting the glasses on him. He's like, "I can't see anything I said, "Look up." He looked up and goes, "Whoa <laughs> That was great, but that's the way some of us walk through life. you know it's like we walk through life and, and 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 we don't we don't understand the Old Testament, we don't understand what it has to do with the New Testament, so we walk through life, partially blind,- ignoring literally ignoring two thirds of the truth. Of God's Word. Can't be that way. We can't be that way. The Old Testament becomes a key to a deeper knowledge and understanding of Christ and of His teaching, of the New Testament as a whole. The Old Testament's not something to run away from, church, but rather it's God's Word to lean into and learn from as we interpret it in light of Christ. And so the interpretation of the Old Testament is observed in the personhood of Jesus. If you want to understand what the Old Testament is about, it's it's all evident in the personhood of Jesus. And we have a saying, I think I've shared this with you before. We say that the New, talking about the Testaments, the New is in the Old concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. Revealed. And so we see that the Testaments, they have a relationship with one another. You can't separate that relationship and expect to get the most out of your Bible study. You can't. You can't. So the interpretation of the the Old Testament, we observe that we can observe this in the personhood of Jesus. For the Christian, the Old Testament is authoritative in so much as it, it is understood and interpreted in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we understand and interpret the Old Testament in the the personhood of Christ? Well, the best way to do this is with something we call confirmation in the New Testament. Now, you don't have to worry about the names. I'm just, listen, I'm just throwing the names out. You're going to hear terms today like confirmation and hermeneutics. And and, and listen, I, I don't want you to get tripped up over the names. Okay. I'm just giving them, I'm just putting them out there for the people that care about these things. But what I want you to understand is that, is, is that we have a methodology called confirmation. It's, By the way, it's part of hermeneutics. So how we do this, if an Old Testament precept is reinforced in Jesus Christ, if it's reinforced by Jesus and his teachings, by the apostles in the New Testament, then guess what? It's still relevant. It's still applicable for us today. So if you're reading something in the Old Testament and you can connect it to the teaching of Jesus, you can connect it to the person of Jesus, you can connect it to the teaching of the apostles and to the New Testament, it's probably still applicable. If not, well, it may be obsolete. Now please, please, nobody panic. Nobody nobody leave here today and say, Pastor Mike said the Old Testament's obsolete. I most certainly did not. And if somebody calls me and says, Roxanne told me that you said the Old Testament is obsolete, you know what I'm going to say? Roxanne's lying. (laughs) Not saying that at all. There are, however, teachings, requirements, practices, in the Old Testament, that are obsolete. They're no longer applicable because Jesus has fulfilled the law. There's a great example of this, by the way, in the book of Acts, where Christians are forced to wrestle with how to interpret the Old Testament in light of Christ. So this isn't even remotely a 21st century problem. That's, that's really good news for us because, because we, can go to, we can go to Acts chapter 15. You might want to jot that down. I would jot that down in my notes. You can find the account in Acts chapter 15. Go home and read about it today. Read about it this week. The apostles and the leaders of the church, they come together for what's called the Jerusalem Council. This is really the first great ecumenical council of the church. And they've got a problem. And you know what the problem is? Gentiles. <laughs> Sorry. Gentiles. They've got listen they have to come together and they have to decide whether Old Testament laws that Jews have been practicing for nearly 2 millennia since the time of Abraham should continue to be binding to non-Jewish believers. Because guess what? Jews were getting saved, they were being filled with the Holy Spirit, and so the Jews are going, do we need to impose our Jewish Old Testament laws on them? Is it necessary for them As they follow Christ. Now I'll just say this. I'm pretty sure that there were a whole bunch of Gentile men. Who were glad. That they decided no. They were not. I'll leave it at that. That way we don't have any awkward conversations with our children after church. (laughs) you can read about it all all about it right there in Acts chapter 15 they're wrestling they're wrestling with how to interpret the law the old testament in light of Christ the writer of Hebrews discusses the relationship and interpretation of the old covenant at great length Speaking of the old covenant system as, quote, unquote, a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter eight, verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he, that is Jesus, makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So even the writer of Hebrews says, hey, guys, listen, There are some of these things in the Old Testament law that are obsolete because they're fulfilled in Christ. Not all of it, but there are parts of it. He, Jesus, makes the first one obsolete. And by the way, Jesus is going to do this again. Just as the Old Covenant culminates with the incarnation of Christ, when Jesus came, He came to fulfill the the old covenant and so it's culminated it's becoming obsolete he's going to do this again with the culmination of the second coming of Christ at the end of the present age what we are doing today right now in the church is a copy and shadow of the coming kingdom We're practicing for heaven, church. And that's by the way, that's one that's a great reason why it is so important that we continue to gather together in person because we are practicing for heaven. And so when Ashley and Ken, Danny, Joyce or Gilbert, get up here and they lead us in worship. That's why you should sing with all that you have in you because this is a copy and shadow of things to come. You're practicing for heaven. We are practicing for heaven. And it's not just worship, church. It's working together. Please, please, please. I I don't want to go off on a a trail here, but I just want to say this. Please don't anybody uh, think that heaven is going to be sitting around on a cloud strumming a harp all day. Because I got to tell y'all, I get bored real fast. Heaven is going to be meaningful, there's going to be work involved, and not, in not in the drudgery kind of sense. God's got purpose for us in the new kingdom. Praise God, He's got purpose for us in the new kingdom. And so I say to you this, when we get together and we have things like work days, Denny and Roxanne are like, hey Amen, brother! We, it is a copy and a shadow of things to come. We are practicing for heaven. We are practicing for heaven. So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is going to do this again. Jesus is going to do this again. The new covenant is going to culminate with the coming of the kingdom. Now, I can't think of a better way to illustrate all this that I'm talking about than to talk a little bit about the old covenant system of sacrifice. The ceremonial law, if you will. Jesus fulfills the law. And by the way, that's why I don't ask any of you to bring turtle doves with you to sacrifice before you walk into the sanctuary. Ken, when you come next week, I need you to bring a couple turtle doves and a sharp knife before you walk in. I don't do it. It's why here in a couple of weeks I'm asking no one to bring a lamb, okay? Don't do it, not even as a joke. Listen, if anyone came in here like sprinkling blood around, I'm going to escort you out and send you the cleaning bill. Roxanne's like, amen, you're going to send them the cleaning bill. We don't do it. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law. Pure and simple. So let's get practical. Because as followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to be sound interpreters of the Scripture to discern which teachings of the Old Testament are still applicable. So in addition, we as 21st century Christians really have to learn how to interpret and apply the teachings of of not just the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, so this will help you this will help you with both of those because guess what there is a there is a rising belief in the Church in the Church that there are parts of the New Testament that aren't applicable either huh somebody somebody ask a question why what oh, lots of it we'll talk about it after church. Well, let me, let, me help you, let me help you understand it this way, Tom. There, there are lots of people who don't think, for instance, gathering together is important. Lots of people who don't think that gathering together is important. Lots of people who identify as Christians who don't think it's important for us to gather together. And, and by the way, they think, they think that the church should be inclusive in regards to salvation. And so why wouldn't why wouldn't we uh why wouldn't we let somebody whose ideologies, whose beliefs don't align with our own to get up and teach us from the Bible? They're Christian too, right? They don't they don't have to conform to uh to what the Bible teaches about sexuality for instance. Because we're all okay, we're under grace, right? Wrong. And so this is a challenge. This is a challenge for 21st century Christians to understand it's not just the New Testament we've got to we've got to try to discern. It's also the new not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. It's a problem. And 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 let me tell you what's at the heart of the problem. Moral relativism. Moral relativism. Cultural relativism. Ethical relativism. I have my truth, you have your truth. I can do what I want, live the way I want and still be a Christian. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We're we're painting Jesus to be this be this really cool guy who just he's just okay with with you the way that you are. I say to you today, Jesus accepts the way you are, but He's not okay with the way that you are. It's why the New Testament says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Jesus wants to change the way you think. He wants to change the attitudes of your heart. He wants to change the way you live because listen, Sinful humanity is not compatible with the coming kingdom. And so the work has to begin now. We have to start practicing now. It's not okay. It's not okay to have your your own willy-nilly ideas and beliefs based upon what you think is acceptable and unacceptable. Because God says otherwise. So we have to get really practical we have to understand how do we do this so the first thing that you need to know is that you're not out there on an island doing this by yourself. if you're alive in Christ you've got the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit of Christ to help you. He's in you to help you. if you're born again you've been born again into the spirit the Spirit of God is in you and will help you to lead you among other things in the study of God's Word. this is the promise of Christ. you also have the body of Christ the church. A family of people who, like you, embody the Spirit of God and as an embodied community have given themselves to the building up of one another in Christ. So I say to you, use your resources. Use your resources. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking another believer what they think about something. I don't think there's anything wrong with with opening up the Bible and saying, hey, what, what does this mean to you? So you're not out there on an island to do this on your own. You Also, for your personal study, there are lots of things like commentaries, devotionals. I'm always glad to give recommendations when people ask. Just this last week, I I was asked about Bible translations. Which one's the best? Actually, I got asked that twice this week. One question about a specific translation. And one question about what do you recommend for somebody who is... Kind of uh, new to to Bible study. What do you recommend? I'm always glad to do that. So there's lots of things like commentaries. There's devotionals. There's different translations of the Bible. But and by the way, I'm a big fan of concordances, and a lot of Bibles have concordances in them, so that you can look up specific words. Why is that really important? Because you can do listen. You can you can do you can do topical studies. Some some people call these precepts. So you can you can go through and you can find in a, in a passage all like for instance all the times that God says that he loves you you can circle that but listen if, if you're if you're studying a Bible and you don't have access to these things just a, just a good Bible and a notepad is plenty that's plenty it's plenty it's all you need this a Bible and a journal or a notepad Choose a time and a place. Plan to study. Because guess what? If you don't have a plan, it ain't happening. Can I get an amen? You know the reason why some of us can't find time to study the Bible is we have no plan to study the Bible. Find a time, find a place, do it. It's that simple. It really is. Oh, you just don't know how busy my life is. Plan to study plan. If you don't have a plan, it probably is not happening. Read slowly. Listen, you don't have to consume it all at once. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and they were like, How did I read the whole Gospel of John this week. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was talking to somebody last year and they said, i'm I'm looking for a Bible plan. I can read through the Bible in three months. It's like, "Wow, It's like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> slow, slow down. You don't have to consume it all at once. Ask questions. That's what your notepads for. Ask questions. Questions like, what is the context? Because context is an important part of understanding the Bible. It's good to know when and to whom a particular thing was written. What was going on? What did this mean then? And what can it mean for you now? Again, we call this process hermeneutics. I'm just throwing out, don't get tripped up by that. I'm just throwing that out there for people who care about these things. It's a big word. It just means a methodology to help you interpret and understand Scripture. Scripture. And so the process of confirmation that I mentioned you a moment ago—that's a hermeneutical concept. Another important hermeneutical concept is the idea of distinguishing between the concrete application of an outdated precept and the principle that lies therein. I want to give you an example of this. I want to give you an example of what I mean. So we're, we're going we're to do uh, we are going to do a—we're uh, going to do an example of this of this concept. We're going to distinguish between concrete application and an outdated precept. And so we're going to use Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 as a case study. Stephen's going to put that on the screen. I'm not going to read that. You can read that for yourself. Uh, I think we can all agree that stoning a rebellious child to death is a concrete application that no longer applies. And I want to say again, this has nothing to do with ethical relativism. Listen, it's it's not because we're an involved society and we don't stone children. That's not the reason. The reason is grace. It is fulfilled in Christ. He's given us a better system, a better way of dealing with our disobedient children. He's done away with the accusatory aspects of the law. And so if you have a, if you have a, if your parents are like, <laughs> you're taking notes right now. So, so I just need to take them to the elders of the church and we're going to drag them outside the city. I just need to tell them that they're, that they're, that they're uh, rebellious children and, and, and the elders are just going to stone them to death. Yes, children, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's how they dealt with, that's how they dealt with children who were rebellious to the nth degree. When he just got too extreme and you ground them and you spank them and nothing's working, yeah. This is this is this is last resort right here. Drag them outside the city and stone them to death. Again, I think we can all agree that this doesn't this doesn't <laughs> apply anymore. But but what are the principles that we can pull from this command? How about the importance of honoring and obeying your parents? Can we agree that that is a that is a hermeneutical principle that we can pull from this passage? It's really important. God's word seems to place some importance kiddos on honoring and obeying your parents honoring and obeying your grandparents so that's a principle that we can pull out of that how about another how about another how about how about the value of correcting and disciplining your children god's word places value Upon correcting and disciplining your children. In fact, the Bible tells you that if you don't do these things, your children are going to turn out to be rebellious children who need to be stoned. So God's Word places some value. This particular Deuteronomy 21, we can say, okay, this this principle, this precept that it's teaching is the value of, of honoring and obeying your parents, but also of correcting and disciplining your children. And those are things that are supported. Those are things that are taught, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New. It's possible to find application and relevant principles in even the most obscure passages in the Bible. And so we don't need to be afraid of these things. We don't need, you don't need to be afraid of this. I don't don't know what to do with this. You don't have to be afraid of it. You look for the precepts. You look for the principles. And you can find them in in the most difficult and obscure passages in the Bible. But we have to do this prayerfully and we have to do this carefully. And so I want to say to you, you should always approach your study with prayer. You should always ask God to speak to you and to help you apply what He shows you. Because applying God's Word is a tremendous responsibility that we must never, never, never take lightly. Look, at me, look with me real quick at what Jesus says in verse 19. I'm out of time, so I need to wrap this up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you, there are a lot of church leaders who are in a lot of trouble when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because they, they, they had a habit of picking and choosing what parts of Scripture they were going to obey and what parts they weren't. And then they get up and they stand in their pulpits and they tell their churches to do the same. It's why why the evangelical church is in crisis today. It is because evangelical church leaders are not teaching truth. They're teaching moral, ethical, and cultural relativism. Jesus says whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus' warning in verse 19 refers primarily, again, to the moral and ethical commandments in the the New Testament. Particularly the ones that he is currently uh, uh, explicating and reinterpreting in his sermon. It was common for rabbis in, in Jesus' day to to recognize the difference between light and weighty commandments i want to I want to throw that in there because I think it's really I think it's that important. Jesus also recognizes that distinction by the way, but he demands a commitment to both the least and the greatest commandments. Christians and non- Christians alike will relax the moral and ethical commands of scripture. kind of talked about that a little out of turn in answer to Tom's question and i did that as directly as i felt that i could in the in the you know in the in the company of of everyone in here if you want to have a deeper conversation about it, i'm not afraid to talk about these things listen i'm not a, i'm not ashamed of the gospel i'm not ashamed of the truth i'd love to i'd love to sit down and talk about these things because the world the world is throwing messages at you and and too many christians are adjusting their morality because they're getting Kicked around by the world, you can't adjust. You cannot. Jesus makes that very plain in verse 19. You can't let moral relativism, it is never an acceptable reason to change the application of Scripture. The bottom line you cannot read Christ selectively, you cannot read the Bible selectively. True Christians submit to every teaching of Christ. Otherwise, you cannot call yourself a Christian. Jesus said, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I tell you. And what's really sobering is that he said, many will stand before me in the, in the day, talking about the day of judgment, and he'll say to me, Lord, I did this in Your name. Lord, I did that in Your name. And He's going to say to them, He's going to say, depart from Me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We cannot let moral and ethical relativism, relativism, we can't let the pressures of a changing society determine for us what is acceptable and what is not acceptable truth. You cannot read Christ selectively. If you're a true Christian, you're going to submit to every teaching of Christ, not just the ones you like. So what have we learned today? How can we apply it to better study and understand the Bible? Churches Christians, we should read and interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, through Christ and through his apostles. Now, before we finish up today, I shared with you before how Thomas Jefferson, one of our nation's founding fathers, created what is popularly known as the Jefferson Bible. I do not recommend it. This was an effort to remove anything that he found inconsistent with his understanding and personal beliefs. What he perceived as anything contrary to reason, he took out. I always love to tell that story when people come up and they start giving me all that our founding fathers were godly people. Well <laughs> let me let me tell you about Jefferson. Jefferson had some problems with the truth. So he just gutted his Bible. Christians can sometimes take the same approach when we read and study scripture. You can't change what the Bible teaches to fit your understanding or to conform to the changing times. Just because you can't answer a question doesn't mean you just chuck that out. In doing this, we usually end up making Christ in our image rather than being transformed into His. The Bible doesn't need to fit your understanding. You need to fit your understanding to what the Bible says, to what it teaches. So how about it? How about it? Are you embodying the teachings of Christ as you read, study, and interpret the Bible? Are you fitting your understanding to the Bible? Or are you just trying to figure out how you can fit the Bible to your understanding? Because there's a difference. And too many Christians today are choosing the wrong one. I want you to stand with me Stand with me this morning, let's bow our heads for a moment. We're just going to close our eyes. I just want you to pray this prayer as you stand here this morning. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands or anything like that. I know who i'm who I'm preaching to, by the way. But I just want to challenge you. I just, I want to challenge you to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit of the living God. Challenge my heart. Challenge my mind. Search me, O oh God. See if there's anything in me that contradicts the teaching of Your Word. And with grace and power, lead me in the way that is everlasting. Help me to read Your Word, interpret and understand Your Word, And also to apply Your Word to my life. Father, I pray for everyone who had the courage to pray that prayer this morning. I pray, Lord, that You would do exactly as they've asked. As they seek You, I pray that they will find You I pray that they will hear from You. I pray that they will be strengthened by You. Because, God, You have called us to be light in darkness. But we are living in a time, Lord, when so many Christians are hiding their light, afraid of standing out, afraid of being canceled, paying the cost. God, today I pray, I pray that You would help us to be people who stand firm in the Word. Not just the parts that we like. Not just the parts that we're comfortable with. But the Word. Old and New Testament. That inspired truth that You have so graciously made available to us through Christ and through the apostles and through the ordained men and women of the church who paid many of them with their lives to defend that very truth. May we honor the sacrifice of all in the way we study and the way we live out the Word of God. In Jesus' name. The worship team's going to come. You know, as they come, I just want to encourage you, if you need prayer, there are lots of ways to do this. You can come. You can come up for prayer. Uh, you can catch me after church. We can go to the to the war room for prayer. You can reach out to me anytime. Uh, directly, you can reach out in church track. There's actually a form in church track that you can go in and you can send a prayer request. People will pray for you. I will pray for you. So if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need help with something, ask, ask, make your request known. Listen, and when you ask, I promise you, I promise you, you will never stand alone. Let's sing together. forget play practice uh, after church today join us next week bring a friend and now from him and to him and through him are all things to Christ be glory now and forever amen make it a great week y'all be the church my name is regret i want mine interference do
1: so i remember uh, a cr- day of your life i'm the whisper and won't let you forget hello my name is deep